The passage is from John 4, and verses 46 to 54, and if you're looking at the Pew Bibles, it's page 1067. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to see him and begged him to heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. When he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired at the time that his that time when his son got better, they said, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Christopher, thank you very much for reading for us. Um, and if you'd keep the Bible open at that page, that would help me and you enormously. Um, let me pray, though, first before we uh, um, look into this. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you that we can uh, read your word, hold your word. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus is your living word. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, we would be able to grasp and see and understand uh, the depth uh, and the breadth uh, and the meaning of this for our individual lives today. Amen. I should have said good morning. Um, <clears throat> Justin is going to produce a picture. <laughs> so what do you see? Let me say, this is my favourite fresco of all time. It's called The School of Athens, and it was painted by the great Renaissance artist Raphael. He painted it at the beginning of the 16th century uh, in the UK, or sorry, in England. Henry VII uh, was on the throne at the time. This fresco is uh, in what is now the Vatican Museum uh, but it was then the papal apartments. To put it into context, next door, at the same time as Raphael was painting this, Michelangelo was on his back painting the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. So what do you see? Imagine yourself standing in the Vatican Museum. What do you see as you look at the School of Athens? Are you transfixed by the bold, confident colours? Do you focus on the two men in the centre walking purposely towards you? Do they grip your attention? Are you focused perhaps on those two arches in the background uh, of the fresco which pick up the architecture which is in the room and which Raphael has incorporated into the fresco. And then perhaps you move on, the crowd presses around you, 
Uh, you're impressed by the painter's undoubted skill, but you're anxious to see the frescoes in the next room and, above all, get to the Sistine Chapel before the museum closes. Or do you stop and ask yourself about the picture? Why, you might ask, is it called the School of Athens? Or the School of Athens? It doesn't look much like the school which I knew and which I went to. We can move on just into the uh, next picture. Excellent. Now, sorry, this is a bit further back. I, 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 I was at the National Gallery 10 days ago where there's an exhibition of, of Raphael. And this is um, a picture, well, actually what I, what I saw, they've, they've put a digital reproduction of it up on, up on the wall there. Uh, and there's a lady standing in front of it and somebody else on the, on the, on the right-hand side. But I put it up there because it's got slightly more detail than the other, than the other picture. <clears throat> and um, what you can see, these two men walking towards you in the middle, they are Plato and Aristotle, and they represent two aspects of philosophy. Plato is on the left. He emphasizes the importance of ideas to the spirit. And Aristotle is on the right emphasizing the importance of studying physical evidence as the source of knowledge. And if we go on, on the right-hand side there, you can see a figure crouching on the floor. Uh, Justin, let's have the next one, please. There he is. This is Euclid, and he's explaining the physical evidence in surveying. And on the left, if you get, grab the next uh, slide, Justin, um, is Pythagoras. And he's explaining ideas, mathematical laws of music and cosmic harmony. And you begin to see how things um, work together. You begin to see what, importantly, Raphael is trying to get over. And that's the important point. Um, here's a, a different uh, picture, much more recent. Uh, maybe you recognize this. Um, these three photographs... Uh, of the Chinese artist Ai Weiwei uh, dropping a vase. So what, you say? When you learn he's dropping a Ming vase, you might think, crumbs, that's a pity, but, well, there you are, it's contemporary art for you. Um, <clears throat> or you might ask, what is he trying to say? Why is he dropping this vase? Why is he photographed? Uh, if you want the answer, it's an allegory of what the Cultural Revolution in China did for Chinese intellectuals, such as Ai Weiwei's father. And if you're really interested, you can pop along to Kettle's Yard and see this, where it's actually represented in Lego um, <clears throat> and at, at, uh, at huge, huge height. But what I now hear you ask uh, is this, and what has it got to do with John chapter 4, verses 46 to 54, uh, which Christopher just read to us now. So we can get rid of those images now uh, and turn uh, to what the Bible says. What happened in Cana uh, that day? And turn again, if you would, to page uh, 1067, 1068. Once more, Jesus visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay ill at Capernaum. What's the context? <clears throat> well, in Samaria, you'll remember, 
Jesus had been spending some time, and now he's come to Galilee. Um, in Samaria, he had become thirsty one lunchtime, and he stopped at Jacob's well. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and they had the famous conversation. Everyone who drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water which I give you will never thirst again, said Jesus. Give me some of that, she replied, so that I don't have to come here to draw water. Okay, says Jesus, go and call your husband too. I don't have a husband. I know, he says, you've had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. Jesus went on, and he told her that he is the Christ. And she rushed off to the town where she lived, and she told the people. She told them, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They then came out to see Jesus, and he stayed with them for two days. The Bible tells us that many more believed because of his word. And that's important. They told her, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. We also need to bear in mind, and John's first readers would have been much more familiar with this than we are, that the Jews and the Samaritans were not on good terms with one another. Let me just add here that actually if you look at that, um, at what the Samaritans said to her, um, <clears throat> in the NIV it's translated as we, lo- we no longer believe that just because of, uh, of what you said. If you look in the King James Version and if you look at the um, English Standard Version or Extremely Sound Version as it's often called, um, <clears throat> uh, it says we, we don't believe because of what you said. We believe because of what Jesus said. Anyway, so Jesus leaves there, he walks on into Galilee, and he stops at Cana. And verse 46 specifically tells us that Cana is where Jesus had turned the water into wine. So you're giving lots of context here. And we're then told a certain royal official whose son lay ill at Capernaum. Uh, We're introduced to this royal official uh, whose son is lying ill in Capernaum. Galilee at this time was ruled by Herod Antipas, who is a uh, client of the Roman Empire. Uh, And it's likely that this unnamed official to whom we're introduced was a Gentile. We're told that he lives at Capernaum and his son is close to death. It's about 20 miles from Capernaum to Cana. And this official made the journey. He He found Jesus and he begged him to heal the boy. And I think it's worth pausing here and to take ourselves into his mind, if we can. This boy is at death's door. Just imagine how difficult it must have been for this man to leave him, to make the 20-mile journey, which is probably two days each way. He makes it at a point where he thinks he's parted from the last hours of his son but he hopes he's not going to be parted from the last hours of his son he's desperate for his son to live and I just comment this is even at a time when child mortality was relatively common so he finds Jesus and he says verse um, 
uh, verse 43, uh, he asks Jesus, uh, begs Jesus to come and to heal his son. And what's the reply which he gets? Verse 48, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. This is a breathtaking rebuke, isn't it? Ouch. But the man persists. Sir, he said, come down before my child dies. And then Jesus replies, go, your son will live. What does the man do? He takes Jesus at his word and he sets off back to Capernaum. There's no, how will that happen? Do come with me. I need you to do it. He sets off back to Capernaum. There's an overnight stop somewhere. And next day, whilst he's still on his way, his servants meet him. They've come out, they've set out to tell him that his son was living and had recovered. Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, they tell him, the fever left him. Which was the exact time at which Jesus had said to the man, your son will live. And then we are told, so, as a result, he and his whole household believes. Well, the verse which strikes me in this passage is verse 28. The plain, rude rebuke. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. And I ask myself the question, what are we supposed to make of this whole episode Why did John record it? Well, first of all, let's remind us that the whole of John's gospel and the signs and wonders he records are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and by believing, have life in his name. Uh, Those are the famous words in chapter 20, verse 31. These miracles are signs of Jesus' divinity. They're signs that he is God. And in the case of this miracle, what do we see? We see that Jesus heals this boy at a distance. He doesn't need to be there physically present, and the boy is 20 miles away. People sometimes raise objections and try to explain away the miracles. You might object to me and say that the boy recovered naturally. But Jesus knew, in that case, that the boy would recover. Either way... This is miraculous. Either the healing or the knowledge that the boy had recovered are miraculous. But I've still got in the back of my mind, in the front of my mind, this rebuke. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will uh, never believe. How am I to understand this? What is being said here? And we must go back to Samaria to understand what was being said here. In Samaria, the women's friends, the woman's friends, simply believed on the basis of Jesus' words, on the basis of what he told them. And it may not be too strong to say that regardless of what she said about Jesus, it's what Jesus said to them which brought them to faith in him. So the Jews in Galilee are being contrasted with the Jews in Samaria. In Galilee, they demand signs and wonders. So what, you may ask? These signs and wonders, you tell us, are there to show us that Jesus is God. So in answer to your so what question, I think it's like this. 
Let's look at some of the other signs in John's Gospel. The next sign which comes along, which John records, is the healing of the paralytic by the pool. When the now former paralytic went off and told the Jewish leaders, that was what began their persecution of Jesus. What for? For healing on the Sabbath. After Jesus fed the 5,000, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread came down from heaven. And Jesus restored the sight of the man who was blind from birth. And again, he was criticized for breaking the Sabbath. He raised Lazarus from the dead, and that was the last straw. The Jewish leaders said, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Which led, of course, to the rather ironic pronouncement unintentionally ironic pronouncement from Caiaphas, who was the high priest, who says, it's better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. How true that was. So you see, some people get it, and some people don't. The official in our passage obviously thinks it's worth going to Jesus to ask for his son to be healed. There's some sort of faith there, but he thought that Jesus had to come to Capernaum to heal the boy physically. The faith must have grown because when Jesus told him that the boy would live so that he should return to, uh, so he should go back to Capernaum without Jesus, the faith's grown because that's, we see that's exactly what he does do. And he came to faith fully when his servants met him on the way with the wonderful news that the boy had recovered and that this had happened when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. But many people just see the miracle and they don't see what it tells them. Those other miracles which I just listed led to opposition uh, and led to, um, ultimately, to Jesus' death on the cross. The focus of some people is on the event but not what it means. The Jewish leaders, interestingly, they didn't have a problem with the healing of the paralytic, uh, nor the restoration of the sight to the blind man. Their problem was it was done on the Sabbath. Um, And they didn't have a problem with the raising of Lazarus either. They were content to accept all that. They believed that. The problem was that the end result might be the end of the temple and of the nation. So what's the problem today? Do we hear friends, neighbors, people in general say, Jesus performed minerals, Jesus performed miracles uh, which show that he has power over life and death and which shows that he is God? Or do we hear them say, well, you know, modern medicine can do that. Uh, it was a psychosomatic illness. Lazarus wasn't really completely dead. Sure, Jesus was a good man. Yes, I can see he was some sort of prophet, but you know the, the miracles are just made-up stories. Well, test that against the last and ultimate miracle. Jesus himself rose from the dead. And if that was a made-up story, well, tell me where was the body? 
The claim that Jesus had risen from the dead could have been disproved in moments by producing the body. And this is a high-stakes miracle. Paul writes, and if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And um, if you want to look for other evidence about that, can I just recommend to you uh, Norman Anderson's little book, The Evidence for the Resurrection. Norman Anderson um, was a distinguished lawyer, uh, and he became director of the Institute of Advanced Legal Studies um, in 1954 and hung on to the post for 21 years. Uh, I tell you, the, the Institute of Advanced Legal Studies is something to be reckoned with. <clears throat> so what can we, what do I conclude from this for us today? I go back to the question which I asked at the beginning. What do you see? Do you just see the painting? Do you just see the man dropping the vase? Or do you see the message which is in it? Do we just here see a puzzling story, something to discuss over dinner, something for conjecture, something to explain away, a made-up story? Or do we see a sign that Jesus is God? Are we like the Samaritans? They expressly disavow the woman's claim that Jesus told her all that she ever did as the cause of them believing. It's Jesus' words which they believe. And it's through them that they could say, we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Go back earlier in chapter 4 and you'll see where that is. I expect that from time to time, each of us wonders if our faith is real. Are we kidding ourselves? Do we believe in Jesus just because we need a crutch? We're having a bad day, bad week. And at times like that, we can look at Jesus' miracles and say, yes, they show me that Jesus is God. Go back to the school of Athens, go back to the photographs of Ai Weiwei dropping his vase. We don't just stop and say the colours are fabulous, the man's dropping a vase. We do ask ourselves, what is going on here? What are these images telling me? And we can look, it seems to me, at the miracles in the same way. What are they telling me? What are they telling you? What are they telling the world? And I think that we can be reassured by them. Let me close with a prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus was a, is a compassionate Lord Jesus. Thank you for the compassion he showed on this man despite the frustration uh, and we thank you Lord that it's recorded there that we can see it too uh, and that we can see um, that God became man uh, and came to save us Amen